Hey guys, this is John Lance from the Queensland Reds, and uh, you're tuning into the Running Rugby Podcast. Seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. I'm your host Archie Hughes and as always joined by my brothers Toby and Leo. Well, round five of the Super Rugby is in the books. Uh, we had six out of seven home teams taking home to win, a few of them against the odds. Uh, we'll have a look at round two of the Super W as well and of course at the last round of the Six Nations today. But before we get into that, what was your guys' favourite moment of this round? Um, for me, it was mate, the Reds. They were just all heart. Just just really, really strong effort in defence. And they just dominated the, the Haguares at home. And for me, that was just a highlight to see a team just grind it out. They weren't particularly flashy, but they took their opportunities. And, yeah, I was just really impressed with them. I was pretty excited with the Brumbies revival. They came down back to Canberra. Uh, stuck it out at home against the Sharks, and and I thought they looked really good with these new combinations. I think there was some some interesting new play, a bit more variety in their game, which which gave them a lot to to show in attack. And their defence stepped up again, which is good to see. That's traditionally one of their strengths. I guess you can see how good a weekend Australian teams were having because my favourite moment was probably seeing the resurgence of the Tarts, especially that second half. It was amazing. I felt like I was watching one of these New Zealand teams. Uh, like the Highlanders or Hurricanes in some parts of that. They just seemed to have so much support whenever anyone made a break. You had those forwards like Jed and Fitzpatrick out wide linking up those short pop passes, and uh, it was just a great showing out there at Allianz on Sunday afternoon. I also enjoyed tipping seven out of seven of these games. How many did you guys do again? You need to calm down with that. It's one round. Okay, I know it's never happened before for you, but... Oh, that's a lie. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) How, well, what was it? Four? I think I got five, maybe. Five. I think I'd be five. lucky if I got four this week. I tipped so poorly. Oh, God. We'll bring this up again in future weeks so that I can get uh, I can get evened up. Sure, sure. Match report, round five. All right, so let's jump into it. Let's first off have a look at the Brumbies. First home game of the season versus the Sharks on Saturday night from GIO Stadium. And Brumbies, I don't know if it's just getting to come home to Canberra, but they really stepped up, 24-17, to 17, taking the win. And we saw a bit of a different look in their backline with Huera coming into 10 and Leliofano shifting to 12, as we thought might happen. Yeah, you guys called this big time. Uh, and I, I reckon it had a really, really strong impact, uh, that little change up, that new combination in the midfield there, having the, the two fly-half style combination. Uh, it was a really solid win. Really settled the. I mean, who wouldn't be inspired going back to Canberra? Uh, too many penalties, maybe throughout <laughs> back the to game. The heartland of Australian rugby. That was harsh. Um, too many, too many penalties at times, and they did suffer a couple of yellow cards. Maybe they had some luck with some scrum calls as well, but they got their staunch D back and the variety in attack. I think the Sharks just have had a real issue adjusting to all the different forms of attack they were getting. They were getting a lot of 
variety. They were getting wide wide kicks out. They were getting just through the hands, crash balls. They had sniping around the ruck. They had uh, tricky sort of inside runners. They just didn't seem to settle because they, they couldn't figure out exactly what the Brumbies were going to throw at them each phase, and, and that worked to their advantage, the Brumbies' advantage. Meanwhile, the Sharks were probably also unlucky with penalties, um, but but they, they needed the variety in their attack because the Brumbies knew exactly what they were throwing at them, and it was just too easy to hold them out. I actually watched this game on replay after the Reds game, so after watching that Reds performance, I was a little bit, I guess... I could see the intensity in defence, and I was looking for the same for Brumbies. They they didn't have a whole lot of standouts I found across the park, and I I agree with you, Leah. I think they did look a lot better with Hawera and, and Christian Liliofano in combination there at ten and twelve. Um, but I wasn't that impressed with their attack, um, and their defence was solid. Like they didn't leak too many points, which was good. Yeah, I don't know. Tavita Karandrani again. Seems to have gone missing a little bit. So their backs, I think, have a lot of improvement in them still. But bringing in that new winger, I, his name escapes me now. But I don't know. I'm not as I'm not as bullish about that Brumby's performance for some reason. And perhaps it was because I watched it straight after the Reds game, and I just saw that intensity that the Reds showed for 80 minutes. The Brumbies started with a lot better intensity but they just seemed to drop off a little bit. And some of their set piece is just still not firing. I wouldn't say that they were up to the standard of one of the really strong Australian or, or the New Zealand teams. Like the performance wasn't that much of a step up, but it was definitely for me. It was definitely a step up, and and they looked like they weren't trying anything uh, too complex. They were just doing you know quick hit ups, run, runs from the scrum base, uh, enough enough variety in their attack that the Sharks' defence couldn't really. Uh, settle into like a close in or a rush defense. They were just reacting to what the Sharks gave them. And things that annoyed me were like they were sl- very slow to move up to their set piece, which was frustrating because it, it looked like I was taking momentum away from them. But once they got into some passing phases, it just looked like they were making good decisions. And like I said, not world beaters yet, but definitely movement in the right direction. Yeah, I think what we saw with the Brumbies, uh, there's been such a stress on them changing sort of their attitude towards play and being much more looser than they have been in previous years. I think they almost didn't push that as much this week. They were happy to keep it a little bit tight at the start until they got a little bit of go forward, and that's what really actually allowed Powell to get a bit of better service moving forward for the backs. And Powell did a few great snipes in this game as well, and I think it did come forward through the forwards, actually playing a little bit tighter, especially in the opening sort of 20, 30 minutes of this game. To me, the Sharks still look the better team, even though they lost this game. And I, I'm glad the Brumbies are getting David Pocock back. I think they need that. They need someone over the ball who's really going to bolster their forward pack. And the Sharks go down to play the Rebels next, which is going to be a big test for them. And maybe they'll be a little bit settled after spending a week in Australia and, and acclimatising a bit. So probably going to see a better... More balanced performance from them, hopefully. Where do you think Pocock fits in when he does come back? Oh, Tom! Look, Tom Cusack is a good player and he's consistent in a lot of areas, but he doesn't seem right in that seven role. He's probably more of a six, and he doesn't offer that strength over the ball that that Pocock does. So I'd put Pocock back at seven, and you got him with Nasirani and and I think Lachlan McCaffrey had a strong game, so that's a pretty good back row for now, at least. Yeah, agree. Yeah, McCaffrey's been putting together a few strong performances 
Uh, did we see anything from the Sharks that we think they can improve on for next Friday versus the Rebels? I think they need the variety in attack. Like they've got some really good attacking weapons. They've got a really good backline, but they all just they just went through the motions, did the same thing over and over. And it, when they got it out into the into the sort of outer backs, the, the defense was there from TK and Spate. They just they just suppressed it. They just suffocated all that attack. And the Sharks didn't change what they were doing. So they only I think they kicked once. My my, my notes have them kicking once in sort of an attacking sense and only a couple of box kicks or bombs to pressure the Brumbies. They, the kicking game was almost non-existent. And that just means that the back line can all come up because they're not afraid of you dropping something in behind. Yeah, I see a lot of similarities between the Sharks and the Bulls, actually. They have these small patches where they look really good and really dangerous, but they just haven't been able to string together a solid 80-minute performance at this stage. And it probably is a little bit because... They're not a very experienced group. They haven't played together for a long period of time. Also, it was a shame to see their Sharks inside centre, Esterhausen, uh, went down in this game. It looks like he's going to miss a little bit of time, which I think hurts them in the midfield. But let's move on. The Hagiwaris and the Reds on Sunday morning. Toby, you were just talking about this. Um, the Reds managed to grind out a bit of a win here, but 18-7 to come away victors in Buenos Aires. And one of these games that... You know, it, it's probably dominated by defence. And this has been the story of the Red season a little bit. Low scoring, uh, good defensive performances from them. And first half, they were just dominant up front. Like, there was scrum after scrum for a period there. And the Reds were just, yeah, their pack, they've got a huge pack at the moment. I think it was somewhere around 940 kilos. And, yeah, just really imposing themselves and just building the confidence. You could hear them. The chat was there. They were just really aggravating the Haguaris in a lot of areas, and and that was that was forcing a lot of errors from the Haguaris, and I I was disappointed in them again. Um, so yeah, just really strong from the Reds, and you can just now start to see Brad Thorne's influence on this team. Yeah, that defensive effort again from the Reds. I I, I put the the defensive effort by the Reds down as the reason the Haguaris looked so sloppy in their in their attack because. They had plenty of opportunity with ball in hand, and they just couldn't hold on to it. And you look at the way they were running; very like body height was a was an issue. I think they were they were too upright. They lost that many balls in the in the ten meters to the try line. It was pretty embarrassing, really. And they they didn't adjust. And that's if you're doing something that's not working, and it's become it becomes uh, a bit of a, a sad sign if you can't react, if no one can see what's happening, and you can adjust in that forty first forty or second forty. They showed such good early awareness and they, they got that try on the inside of the Reds, the Reds over committing in that scrum, trying to push push the pack around the first scrum, completely ignored all their loose backs coming off the scrum. The hacks just ran it in. After that, there was almost no uh, reading of the game. It just became trying to outmuscle the Reds and Reds brought the physicality stakes. Hags tried to match it. They couldn't. And they just fell away. They got tired and they and they couldn't compete. Yeah, the Reds definitely showed how you can beat the Hags and it's stopping them early, stopping them getting any of that momentum. And you saw them, they were getting frustrated. They were starting to argue amongst themselves more so than uh, trying to play some rugby in some parts. And I definitely put that down to strong work from the Reds front row. I mean, Taniela Tupo, Slipper and Panga and most of the whole front row had a great game. Uh, and you see the Type 5 really working well. 
and putting themselves physically into rucks and getting go forward and giving some great ball for James Tuttle and Lance starting to unleash a backline that does have a bit of talent, especially out wide. You saw again another strong game from the youngster Dalgunu on the on the wing there, and he came away with a try. Yeah, Dono was really composed to get in this game, and it was a shame he had to go off, I think, just at halftime or just after, and Hamish Stewart got a bit of a run. And that's a... I didn't see much of the NRC, so that's probably the first time I've seen him. And he wasn't too bad, but I don't think he quite offers the same, you know, balanced performance and composure that Jono Lance has. Jono just seems to be at the moment playing with... He's just giving quick ball to his backs. He's making good decisions and, and really good tactical kicking. And I think James Tuttle is... There's something to be said for him at the moment. He's just playing with a lot of confidence and he seems like he's just assured, like it's an assured performance every time from him. He just doesn't look like a young scrum half. He just looks really composed. There's some really good signs there for the Reds. It's guys like Angus Scott Young getting his first start at number six just looked comfortable as well. You could see he was just backing himself, making some big hits, just high work rate, and he played the full 80, which was, I heard him say after the game, was he was pretty tired, but, you know, Guys like that that are just coming into the system, and even though they're young, they just seem to be bringing those strong performances straight away. Yeah, I thought that the same of Hamish Stewart. Like again, it was actually good to see him for a whole half to settle in. He he fitted that mold of the Reds where we're seeing these big defensive plays. He was throwing his body at, at everything as well, which is which is great. Uh, I agree that he's probably not quite as settled and um, calm as as John O'Lance, but there's you know he's pretty solid looking backup and he'll get a lot out of developing behind Jono. Uh, and the other, the other thing Archie mentioned, the, the f- type five having a good, good time at the ruck. They didn't overcommit. The Reds didn't overcommit their forwards in their rucks this week. They, they actually had the guys out ready for crash balls from Tuttle. So whether that's something they've considered from the previous week, where I think we mentioned that they were overcommitting at the ruck and, Tuttle was having to scream at them to get into position, give himself some some ball runners. They were doing that naturally this week. There was only two or three going into each ruck to secure the ball, which is really good. It helps them get quick ball, gives them more options in attack, makes it harder for the defence to cover all those different aspects. Looking forward, uh, the Islander coming to Australia in June. The Wallabies are only going to have one week to prepare from Super Rugby going into that sort of series. Do you think there's any space to say we should be putting in some sort of 9-10 pairing that have played together that are working well because out of all the 9-10 pairings in all the teams I'd say probably Tuttle and Lance are probably playing the best together do you think there's any scope to moving towards that just because you don't have time to prepare and get people working together as well I think it's a fair idea to, to play with but I honestly think if you do that you're going to get killed by Ireland like they're one of the form teams in the world at the moment. And you're going to need guys like Bernard Foley there, probably Will Genia, even though they they haven't they only play together for the Wallabies. They don't have that combination week to week. But they're good enough players that they can adapt and, and fall back into those Wallaby systems. But, you know, you could have someone like John Lance on the bench for the Wallabies backing out Bernard Foley. Tuttle could be the backup number nine. I'm, I haven't been impressed by Joe Powell as much this year and there is some scope there for a young number nine to to really assert himself and, and be backing up Will Genia. 
Yeah, there's some logic there in keeping the combination, particularly if they do keep playing strongly all the way through the June Test series. Uh, I'd probably agree with Toby that, that maybe it's saying you'd see off the bench if no other halfback and fly half really rise to the top. Uh, the Brumbies have had some ch- some change in that area. The Rebels are not still not particularly excited about Debrasini. I think he's probably the weaker part of that back line. So I could see see a Jono and Tuttle combo on the bench. But I would expect that with the form of Genia, if the Waratahs roll on and, and win a few games from here, I would expect that we'll go back to a Genia, Bernard Foley sort of combination. And, and you would expect they've got history. They've, they have played that combination at an international level before. They've been playing for a number of years. They should be able to settle back into that without too much preparation. And, and Checker won't be looking to introduce too many uh, variations on a theme. Yeah, I guess... I guess he will look to go to those safer pairings that he's had in the past. Uh, let's look forward to probably the game on the round. Uh, and a game of two halves it was. Waratahs versus the Rebels. And the Rebels' win streak finally snapped by Waratahs that didn't look that threatening in the first half, but come the second half just completely changed the look of that team and was dangerous at all parts. And I don't know, was it the reshuffle? Was it moving Falau out to the wing? Was it just uh, implementing the right tactics for this game? What was it, guys? Oh, I thought the tactics were horrible to begin with. I thought the Rebels had nailed the, the strategy for this game. We had a, a, a stinking hot Sunday afternoon at, at the SFS, and the the logical argument would have been, well, the Reds have a, a, a decent-sized pack. Let's run them around. Let's tire them out, try and hold the ball, make them do a lot of defense, and, and then capitalize when they start getting tired and, and making errors in their own attack or just missing tackles in defense. But the, the Rebels put that on the Tars, and they let them do it for a good 20 minutes. And aside from the um, the expected Rob Simmons drop ball, missed try opportunity early on, the, the, the Waratahs had little to say in attack uh, in that first half, and they went in, what was it, 10 to 20? I think it was 20, 20 to 10 to the Rebels in, in the halftime break. And it was looking a bit dire, but they came out all guns firing and they definitely made good use of Falau. It's interesting how much extra space he's got for that kind of, for that chase through for a kick coming off the wing. Whereas from fullback, he kind of has to run straight through the middle and he doesn't get so much separation from the rest of the other, other team's defense. But out on the wing, it seems like he gets a lot more space once he's claimed the ball over the top of the opposition winger. Well, I think the difference is he's yeah he's acting more as a chaser. He's not putting out the bombs himself, which gives him a bit more time to get set and and really be hitting hitting some of those catches at pace. And I think he took every single one that he went up for. I, I don't recall him missing any of them. I actually still think that Falau should be back at fullback, and I could see in this game it worked for the Waratahs, but Hegarty. He's in form at the moment. I just don't see him in that starting lineup going forward. I just can't see it. I think Falau should be on at fullback. I think Rona played well on the wing. And I'd like to see someone like Newsom or or Kellaway get another opportunity on the wing. I I just don't see Hegarty as a starting fifteen player. I see him off the bench coming on making an impact. He did Falau play well though. Him back at 15. He did, he played really well, yeah. but you might, we might have Maybe to get used to him seeing there. him there. We might, I think we he's might still, have to for now. It was pretty successful. I feel like he's doing as much as he can do with his, I don't know, something to do with the way he runs or something. That 
I just can't quite see him going to the next level. It's almost like this is the highest level he can perform at. Yeah, I don't think we're that's, expecting that's him to I be a, a Ben Smith or a or, or you know, a Falau mold player though. He's he's a strong defender. He made pretty good decisions. I think he was out of position on one one of the uh, Rebels early tries, but generally speaking, he was he was solid and he did inject himself into the back line to support uh, back line moves pretty smoothly. So they must have spent a bit of time practicing that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I like like you. I, I haven't really expected to see him there, but I'm I'm not hating what I'm seeing. I think the true test will be when we play one of the Kiwi sides and they really run us around. If he can keep his positioning and his defence under a lot more pressure than the Rebels gave him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can point to anything in any of the Waratahs games really that it, and say that Hegarty's played badly at any point in them. No, he's had a good season for sure. Yeah, the. The mould that people, well, the main problem people have with him is usually his size. They don't feel like he's big enough or he's quite got just that turn of pace or something. But he does manage to inject himself well. He does have the pace when he gets up his speed with a little bit of time. And look, if you have players like Damian McKenzie for the Chiefs that are a bit smaller but can just push themselves through, because he doesn't tend to get big hits or anything put on him, and he's good with his hands and he puts those kicks through and puts those passes through. So I think he's owned himself a, another start. I understand that you might be worried going forward, but... Yeah, look, I don't I don't think they will make a change. I think if, if they come off a performance like that, they'd be foolish to change the backline structure at the moment. You can see having Hegarty's creative potential in terms of helping Beale and Foley a little bit takes a bit of pressure off them to do everything. Um, and Falau's lesser creator at the back. So you can see how that works. Um, I disagree. I think Hegarty often does get dominated when he carries the ball. I don't know. It's just the eye test. It's just something that doesn't sit well with me. And I I feel bad saying that because he has put in a good performance every week that he's had an opportunity. And in previous years, he hasn't shown that form. So I think this is the best I've seen him play. And I think he does deserve to hold his spot. But I think at some stage, we're going to see that come unstuck. And I don't know why I feel like that, but... What about the Waratahs forwards? Uh, we had so many questions during the week in these last couple of weeks and coming up versus a bigger Rebels pack. How do you think they performed? I think they were pretty good. They um, they they did defend pretty well. But the set piece was, was solid. It was good to have Sokopi Kepu coming back in. And the, generally, they, they looked pretty consistent in attack and defense. There they weren't a lot of mistakes, just Rob. Just Rob. Yeah, mate. Did he, did he redeem himself a little bit by scoring that try? I mean, yeah, but he didn't do a lot on. to get there. But no, he he dropped the ball. He was offside at the kickoff. Like he oh, just mate, strolled was, over the that halfway. Was that was classic. And we didn't think it was him because he he went about two meters and then stopped. And then the and then everyone ran past him. We thought, oh no, it couldn't have been Robson. And we see the replay, and he's just wandering over. No, yes, he like... did score a try. And that's you know he that's good that he was it. there in support, but He's it's just so frustrating from, when when you think playing. you've got momentum and that and that happens and you're thinking what you couldn't possibly pick a worse moment to have a a brain snap like that and just lose focus and maybe that's it it's just, it's just sort of that bumbling losing focus and bad decision making that I find frustrating. Yeah, but he's bumbling all the time. This is the thing. Like it's not 
it's not like he's doing it every, once every five games. He does it at least three or four times in a game. Yeah. And I think he will stay there. I don't think there's many better options. Like, Staniforth had some better carries when he came on in this game. And he was a bit stronger in contact. So I think they've tried to address that problem with... I think Hannigan and Simmons is honestly... That's probably what we've got. We can do at the moment. Yeah. And we need Hannigan healthy. So he only played half a game. Uh, Archie knew yeah. a bit more about this. Yeah, so it was questionable coming into this game with a bit of a shoulder injury. And it sounds like he may have aggravated it a little bit and they thought it was safer to keep him out for the second half and obviously make that change. And we saw uh, towards the end of the game even Jed uh, Holloway going into that second row um, so they could bring on a few extra back rowers. And if we've got thick back row stocks, then that might be the option that to try and get someone like Hannigan comfortable in the second row, which he already seems to be now, and then and Jed as well. So we've got that flexibility because the starting stocks are so thin we really need to have a couple of utility back rows, second row players available. And just just summing up, I still feel a little bit uneasy about the Waratahs this season. Like this performance was impressive in a lot of ways, but it wasn't perfect. And I, I think, I, well, I hope they don't get too carried away with it. It's a building block, and it alleviates some pressure on on Daryl Gibson. He he's going to be feeling a little bit more positive about his coaching prowess after this game because the Rebels kind of were in such hot form and to take them down like this is, is pretty impressive. So, you know, the something Rebels, to be said for this performance, but yeah. The Rebels were shaken up when they lost Dane Hale at Petty. Like that, that forced a change and Archie and I were at this game and we were wondering what, what's happened to the Rebels now. They, they don't seem to have the structure in attack. The, they, were, they were a little bit... Uh, had a few holes in defence. We think that maybe maybe putting Reese Hodge into fullback might have taken one of their communicators out of the back line in, in sort of the inner backs and, and the injection of Meeks into there may not have held that back line together so well. And, and But aside from that, like they really did just not look like the Rebels of the last three weeks. Yeah, I wouldn't have put Meeks there. I would have dropped probably um, Maddox back to fullback and and put Naivalu on the other wing, something like that, just so you didn't disrupt your midfield as much because I think you're right, it was noticeable when Meeks came on, they just didn't look as, as potent in attack. That said, though, that was probably the best uh, Meeks game I've seen for a little while. He was really good in terms of getting some good pilfers, getting a few pop passes, and he set up two of their tries. Uh, so that's a lot more than I've seen from him in recent times. So what do we think about the rebels? Are they are they the real deal? Do they have they have they snuck through playing uh, under strength Reds with two guys off the field and or fourteen men for most of the game, and then a Brumbies who hadn't found themselves yet, and then a Sun Wolves team who we don't expect to be beating too many teams this year. Did we have too much hype on the rebels? Is it is it a bit of a mirage, or are they or is it just an off week? And and the first three weeks were more indicative of who they really are. I think it's just an off week. I think they've been riding high uh, for a couple of weeks now and that early um, Hale Petty injury forced a bit of a reshuffle. I don't think we need, we can underestimate the fact of not having Jordan Ualisi on the field as well. I mean, their line-out really suffered and their scrum, we expected it to dominate the Tars. It just didn't, it didn't seem like... No one noticed a big scrum mm. in this whole game. It just sort of went on, went on past. And I think... 
you don't realise how much of an impact someone like Jordan Ulysses has on that. So I think that's probably part of it. They were missing a few key cogs and losing some people early. And you saw it with the Crusaders last week. You lose a couple of key players in your team early. You have to reshuffle around. And it's really hard to bounce back from that. I think you're spot on, Arch. You're spot on there. In terms of Jordan Ulysses, I think he's a big loss. Rangi was decent, but nothing special to my eyes. And that Ford pack, they played Haylett Petty at seven, Ross Haylett Petty. Mm. And they, you know, they're big boys. They wanted to muscle. Yeah, I do think it was a mistake too. But I, I could see the logic in it from Vessel's perspective, trying to really dominate the Waratahs up front and make a statement. They just didn't do that. Perhaps in the first half a little bit. But it was often their backs scoring the points and, I don't know, just looking to assert themselves in that way. They didn't seem to be physical enough for me up front. They didn't make an impact in the scrum. And I think it did hurt them not having more of a, a you know, classic seven fetcher, maybe Colby Fyinger or someone like that playing it from the start of the game. They just didn't look like they were mobile, up, mobile enough around the field. So... Rebels have a bit of thinking to do. I do think it's it's a one-off game, and they probably got a little bit ahead of themselves. Vessels also talked about perhaps the workload during the week. He did thrash them at the start of the week, and I did think they looked a bit flat. So I think they'll reassess that and um, be better going forward. They would have been they would have been tired by the end of this game if the stats are to be believed, because after 20 minutes, the Waratahs, according to the stats, had made 33 tackles to the Rebels 22. At half time, the Waratahs had made 36, so an extra three tackles in 20 minutes, and the Rebels had gone from 22 to 65. And that just kept playing out in the second half, and after another 20 minutes, the Waratahs had apparently only done eight had only had eight more tackles and the Rebels had had 20 phases to defend against. So if the balance did change late in the game, I'm not surprised that the Rebels did become tired. It was it was pretty uh, hot, sticky conditions out there would have been pretty easily, pretty easy to fatigue them quickly. And the big boys on the park, that should have been the Waratahs' game plan all along. But I think it did eventuate in the end anyway. Yeah, so Waratahs now have a bye before they head uh, down to Canberra versus the Brumbies in two weeks. And the Force actually have quite a quick turnaround playing the Sharks this Friday back in Melbourne. But let's have a look around at the other games. Uh, the Chiefs took on the Bulls on Friday night up in Waikato, and Chiefs put on 41 points, but they were in trouble early. The Bulls scoring 28 points in the first half. Yeah, the Bulls really surprised me with this one. The The amount of finesse and deception in their plays was surprising from a South African team who are typically a, a grinder, uh, but they created a lot of opportunities. They're unlucky. They made some, some unfortunate errors at critical times when there were points available. So I would say they left a few points out there. Uh, and I can definitely see these guys sort of getting more and more motivated each each round that this happens when they're, they're on, the, on the front foot, they're scoring points, and they can't seem to put these teams away. I don't think the mentality with them will be to, to give up. I think they'll get more and more likely to upset someone who's really not expecting it if they can put the two halves together. This does remind me, I've said it again, in, I've said it on previous podcasts, that they look a bit like the Lions did when they were first starting to develop their team. Not quite there yet. And the Chiefs were lucky to to get out of jail on this one. They are like, the Chiefs have lost a lot of guys. They're an injury-depleted team, but should have really made light work of the Bulls. And I, I'm a bit disappointed in the Chiefs' performance, but they still put on 41 points and, and came back 
in the second half to win it. So not too many complaints, I think, from them. They'll just move on and, and hopefully get some of their players back for, for future games. Yeah, massive game from Brody Retallick in this one. He really stepped up as a bit of leader in their forward pack and some big runs out wide as well, in, including one sort of bullocking 15-metre sort of stretch for the line at the end. Yeah, Retallick and Kane were big, and I, I really like uh, Tian Falcon, who's their fly half. He's developing some good combinations. That's allowing Damian McKenzie to stay out and be dangerous where he's best played. Uh, but definitely they could suffer if they do get some more injuries the the strain on their team to to get the ball back and they're, they're suffering for a lot offside and getting called at the ruck when they're trying to pilfer so too many penalties and and someone will eventually carve them up they won't get away with it is tian falcon possibly the coolest name in super rugby at the moment it's not bad falcon yeah, it's the best it's a... <laughs> Mate, if he, he could become a superstar, you could see him playing 10 for the All Blacks and just hear that name over and over again. Oh, you won't like it so much oh, when that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. Not. <laughs> All right, let's jump forward to the New Zealand Derby and the Highlanders hosted the Crusaders, the Battle of the South Island. And God, this is two losses in a row for the Crusaders. Highlanders winning this one 25 to 17. They did miss Moanga in this game. And the Highlanders, just they're, they're really impressive. They look strong across the park. Some really big outside backs. You know, guys like Naholo and Tavita Lee were just, oh, mate, they're just such good players to have out wide. They can they can do everything. They, they're just really dynamic players. So Highlanders, again, at home, very strong. Sapawanga kind of controlled the game. Aaron Smith was just barking at his forward pack. And finally, you saw, I think, a really strong, maybe man of the match performance from Elliot Dixon. Really? Even off the bench? Yeah, mate. I'm pretty sure he got man of the match. Um, I'm not sure if he'll end up getting back to that starting role. I think his fitness has been in question a little bit. Mm. But he just looks super determined in this game, and it was a statement game for him. Like, he was everywhere. I think he scored a try and was just yeah, really physical. And back to back to playing how he was maybe two years ago. Yeah, well, their back, line, their back row sorry, looks really damaging when they have him on with Liam Squire. And... Luke Whitelock, who was at the Crusaders and I was never impressed with at all. I always thought, oh, it's the, the run to the Whitelock family sort of going on here. But he looks like he's gone down to Dunedin with a bit of a point to prove and definitely came out as a bit of a revenge game against his own team and was just making massive hits. And every time it took two or three people to put him on the ground every time he picked up the ball. Those, um, those New Zealand teams really know each other well and it seems like it does only take a couple of people to be either out of form or maybe out of the match with people like Sam Whitelock and um, and Richie Moanga missing these games. Um, they, they very quickly get picked apart by their opposition. So, yeah, the, the injury, if the injury curse doesn't strike too much, it might be the team, might be the New Zealand team with the fewest injuries and the, the best combinations at the end of the season who's managed to topple all these others. But in saying that, like eight points to the Highlanders away from home, like the Crusaders, they would be disappointed they lost that game. But I just think they didn't capitalise. They made too many errors. And, and Matt Todd was saying that after the game as well, that he wasn't impressed with that performance. So they've got high standards down there in Christchurch. And I, I think they can bounce back from this. I don't think they'll be you know, contending the title for the New Zealand Conference, but they'd be hoping to make the finals nonetheless. Yeah, I think 
it was does come down to just a couple of key decisions in this, especially Crusaders were quite unlucky, I think, to get a try denied on the TMO for a knock-on just before half-time, which would have put them up, I think, 17-14, to 14, and I think that would have completely changed their attitude sort of going into that second half. But still, entertaining game to see. Next, we'll move on uh, to the Stormers, who are going home to Cape Town to take on the Blues that were riding high after that Lions win. But Stormers, Leo, you were right again, getting back home, getting back to where they were comfortable, back in Newlands, and they took out the Blues, just came out hard and got the win, 37-20. to 20. It's mother's homemade biltong. Homemade biltong, man. <laughs> it's It just brings you back, gives you all the energy to, to topple these upstart New Zealand teams. So, no, this, this is good. Like, that's the performance I think we should expect from the Stormers uh, when when they're all firing and, and they don't get their heads down and, and they take all their opportunities. That's what I expect them to be the top of the South African conference. That's that's what I'm thinking at the moment. You think so? You're thinking over the Lions? I mean, if they play like that, perhaps they can win I think the so. sack. I'm, um, I'm more interested in the Stormers at this point, yeah. Well, they've got their travel out of the way, and that that probably bodes well for them. And they just looked really fierce in this game, intense pressure on on the Blues, and the Blues kind of just just caved. Um, Stormers counter attack really strong, um, as I said, good energy. And the Blues just yeah look like they're missing Pulu a little bit. I know that they won last week, but they just look a little bit um, I don't know lost at times. And Bryn Gatlin's a young fly half, so. Blue was someone to probably settle him a bit, and I think there's still that nature with the Blues. They can get a bit erratic and, and um, yeah, lose their way. Yeah, I think you saw the big men for the Stormers really step back up in terms of people like Khaleesi and Peter Steptetoit in this game. And you look at the Blues, and on paper, they have the names that can match any team in the competition. But for some reason, they just don't be able to seem to be able to start strong, and they leave it all and try and stay a bit in touch, and then they seem to come together in that last half an hour, 20 minutes, and they just can't... That's not the way to win this competition, to look at just playing it in the second half. So I think they, they do need to look at somehow to start off a bit stronger. Some teams seems- start off with that ebb and flow of momentum, like they can't seem to keep the, keep the momentum throughout the whole game. And I think that's what we saw a bit of the Waratahs, and we saw a bit of uh, the even the Haguares. And it's the teams that can put it together for 80 minutes that are having success. Yeah, the Blues, I don't know. They might have just been pretty pretty happy with their performance last week and maybe underrated the Stormers a little bit that didn't have a great tour. Um, were solid, but, you know, not spectacular. And it seems like the Stormers just hit their straps in this game and the Blues went up to the task. So. And the last game that we'll talk about are the Lions, uh, putting 40 points on the Sunwolves. That's no surprise, but the big surprise, the Sunwolves only just lost it by two. They put 38 back onto the Lions. I don't think any of us expected this game to be this close. I I know I was keeping up with it, just seeing some updates on my phone while I was watching the England-Ireland game, and then I just started seeing the score of the Sunwolves just knocking up tries. I had to start swapping over and clicking over to watch it because I just did not expect this at all. And you said that they had previously beaten the Sunwolves. 94 to 7 in That's last right. season's super season. So, was complacency an issue coming in this game? Well, of any game, possibly this one. We, we said they scored a couple of tries early. Maybe they relaxed. It did become try for try for a while there. And there were some 
unlikely opportunities came up for both teams where we had intercept tries, we had charge down kicks that, that landed in the in the hands of the opposition. A um, little bit hard to tell from from the amount of, of this game I saw, but it, it, I think the Lions are a better team than this. But it's nice to know the Sunwolves can keep it up for 80 minutes and are going to challenge even in what may have looked like a lost cause early. Yeah, well, I think Sunwolves are starting to get a few of their players back and their back three are quite potent on some of those counter-attackings. Between um, Lameki and Saumaki and Matsushima, uh, that's actually a really dynamic, really fast sort of back three and they're not afraid to take teams on from when they're getting those kicks from 55, 60 metres out and they will go for a run and they're just making a bit of a nuisance for, of themselves. And I think they'll they'll start to challenge a few teams in this competition. And like the Lions may be a bit guilty of, if people are just going into this not really concentrating and thinking it's going to be an easy win, I reckon they're going to upset a few and give a few people a loss when they weren't expecting any sort of fight from the Sunwolves. I think this really points out that Super Rugby this year, there, there are no easy games. Like it, the Kings are gone, the Cheaters are gone. And the, the depth of teams in South Africa and Australia has just changed. There's stronger teams across the board. And you've got the Sunwolves. If they can put up a performance like that, I'm a bit sad for them. They didn't get the win because that would have been huge for them. They're going back to Tokyo now, I think, to take on the Chiefs. So it doesn't get any easier. And that's a lot of travel for them to bear. So hopefully they can put on another strong performance this week. But mate, to come within two points in Johannesburg at altitude, like that's... It's a huge effort, and they should be proud of themselves, I think, even though they didn't get the result. Mm. Australian Super Rugby Team of the Week. That's right, our Australian 15 of the Week, and we'll start off in the front row, and oh, hard to go past the Reds' props again this week. They're, they're really locking down their spots, but James Slipper, great scrummaging performance, and Taniela Tupo, not only in the scrum, but just in open play and he's just becoming more and more damaging every time he gets that ball in open play and he's starting to really hit his straps as a bit of a dangerous ball carrier and really get that whole team moving forward and at hooker we've got actually Damien Fitzpatrick uh and his first sort of appearance in this I mean shout outs to Brandon Panger and Mosa for the Reds he had a great game but I just felt like Fitzpatrick really stepped up in this game the Waratahs scrum and line-out remained pretty stable, but his work just in the loose forwards with a few of those offloads, I mean, he did the last pa- pass to Fichetti for that try just before the first half um, ended, and he was involved in the second half again for one of the tries in the, a couple of those little offloads and interplays, so I really think he stood up in this game as well. So the second row pairing, I've gone for Kane Douglas, who was, again, strong in this game, really physical, Probably was lucky not to get a yellow card for one of his ball and all tackles on, on one of the Haguaro's players. But, yeah, I'm just loving what I'm seeing from Kane Douglas in the last couple of games. Um, he just looks like he's back to that, that form from three years ago under Checker at the Waratahs. And, yeah, just dangerous, hitting people left, right and centre and, and just playing 80 minutes, which is what I like to see because... It's often a question of fitness with Kane Douglas, and when he is fit, he's one of the best second rowers out there. So really glad to see him back to form, and I could have easily put Isaac Rodder in with him, but I've gone for Matt Phillip in a losing Rebels side who, you know, he just seems to be doing all 
all the right things for the Rebels. He he probably out, outplayed Adam Coleman in this game. He scored a try. So, you know, he's just... He's a guy who can, again, play 80 minutes, consistent, not not flashy by any means, but, you know, a guy that's played for the Wallabies now and he seems to be building confidence. And I think his combination with Adam Coleman is just going to really solidify the Rebel set piece this season. The back row play from all four Australian sides had, had their stars this week. We've, we've got a few double-ups where we've, we've sort of got a, a close second uh, Angus Scott Young for the Reds at Blindside, starting debut, 80 minutes of play, very strong, very involved, didn't look particularly out of place, which is great, and all probably just just pips for mine. Uh, Lockie McCaffrey, that first half yellow, put his team under pressure, so that's a no-no. We'll see if we can cut that out of the game next week, or sorry, two weeks time. But uh, yeah, Angus Scott Young, really really great start for him. Michael Hooper, ever present. Huge energy and a strong win for his side. Uh, definitely holds that open side spot. And Caleb Timu, injections out wide with his backs and the line breaks and the offloads to set up some some really good attacking Reds play uh, really caught my eye. We think Amanaki Murphy had a solid game, but uh, just, just shaded a little bit by Caleb Timu. When you get a yellow card, that's a no-no. <laughs> yeah, no-no. <laughs> So politely, so Caleb Timu, when he made that break for the Reds, Leo, like he just looked a bit like Cliffy Palu in open field, and he did really well. Like he's a he's had to adapt to move to eight, and he looks comfortable there. We've talked about it before. He's going to probably have to make way for Higginbotham to come back in, but perhaps you shift him to six. George it's nice Smith, to have a wealth of opportunities. It is. There's there's a lot of guys in that forward pack for the Reds. Like to be honest, they're they're the form forward pack of the the Australian Conference. Yeah, they are they are doing very well, and yeah, t- I can see the similarities in Timo. It's just good to see him consolidating the gains that he made. We get away from these silly offloads that lose all the advantage we had, and just take the ball to ground, fix up the next phase, and continue on. So moving on to the backs, someone who I mentioned before, I was really impressed with James Tuttle. Really assured performance by him. Good goal kicking quick around the field. And I, I think we, the Reds did lose a little bit when Lucas came on to replace him. So happy to, to see James Tuttle there. Really good to see him stepping up. We got Bernard Foley, I think, probably the first time we've seen him in our lineup this year. Um, he's he's just, when he's on song, he's, there's no one better. He's just so direct with his play. Great passing. Um, don't recall, his goal kicking was pretty good as well, wasn't it? He missed he his first one for the, the season to, on that game, but otherwise was perfect. Okay, so he's he's fixed some of those problems he was having with his goal kicking, which is is great to see. And Bernard Foley, just keep keep doing what you're doing, mate, because the Waratahs need you. And, and in combination with Bill, like that's that's the ideal 10-12 combination that I think they'll take into the June series. And it's the same 10-12 combination we've got here in our team. I mean, Kurtley Beal, he's just. Is there a player that's better at picking the ball up off his shoelaces after a terrible pop pass from anyone on his team? No one. No one better. He, he's sprinting onto these balls and it's either a tiny terrible pop pass or it's just bobbling around and he just picks it up and doesn't lose an inch in terms of his pace. Always there at the right stage. Always seems to be have the last sort of set of hands and 
be able to unlock a bit of those outside backs. He actually was helping um, Foley kick a lot of those high balls to the wings, which really put the Rebels' sort of rush defense on the back foot in this game and really helped them get a, get around them and get some good pace going. In 13, it's a bit of a toss-up. We've, we've put in Lalakai Fuketti. We finally saw a bit more ball coming out to that 13 channel this week. And Fuketti, he was rewarded with the try for some good backup work. Uh, and he did start to make a few good runs and a good sort of decisions, as well as being quite solid in defense against some of those big Rebels outside backs. He's probably tied, really, with Foaway Satir for the Reds, who also had a really good defensive game and didn't have anything hugely flashy in terms of his own runs, but was there in the last or second last pass and a few of those Reds' backline movements, especially in that big try that we were talking about where Timu broke through in the midfield to Foaway Satir and then onto Darganu on the wing to score for his debut Super Rugby try. Yeah, really good having some strong strong figures there at 13. Uh, help get the ball out to these guys. It's the wingers and fullback who, for us, we've, we've gone a clean Oritaz sweep. Dagunu gets a gets an honourable mention. Thought he had a very good game as well. But the, the group of Conus, uh, Curtis Rona, Israel Falau, and Bryce Hegarty at the back just unlocked in the second half of the Waratahs. Once they stopped uh, trying to force opportunities... And, and making it and made errors and, and gave the rebels ball. They instead waited for them phases to bring them some advantage through offside or other infringements from the rebels. And then they got to play around with all that advantage. And sometimes it became a try. Sometimes it got snuffed out through their own error. But at least it was the opportunity. And even Curtis Rona coming into thirteen after the subs were made, hugely involved in thirteen. He, he does look very comfortable. Is Falau phenomenal under the high ball, uh, whether you're playing him for fullback or the wing, so long as we can put him into situations like that in a pack, he's out jumping everyone. Probably, a, a, again, a, a highly commended to Maddox. I thought he actually contested pretty well in a couple of those situations. And he did I think he did get one of Falau. Falau had to pull out of it. But, um, that yeah, Falau is just so dominant, so let's give him as many of those opportunities as we can. And Brian Teddy, solid, good defence was a really good linking player in the backline moves and supporting all day. So a really good game out of him as well. So that's our Australian super team of the week. Uh, around the other results this weekend, the Super W competition kept going with round two and the Brumbies had their first game of this competition. They got to host the Queensland women coming down and Brumbies, I don't know whether it's just because their first game of the season... But uh, Queensland came down with something to prove after a loss to New South Wales last week, and the Reds beat the Brumbies 42-5 to in that. And in the other game, uh, which myself and Leo actually got to watch a little bit of this, was the Waratahs women versing the Force, um, and that was on before the Waratahs-Rebels game. And the Waratahs women, too good for the Force, who put 80 points on the Rebels, were only able to put 10 points on the Waratahs. Waratahs winning 32-10. to yeah, this was an entertaining match. There was some pretty good skills shown for teams that probably haven't been together all that long. Uh, really tough defense. I was really with the physicality from, from a lot of the hits. And storming runs, some of the bigger front rowers for both sides obviously love a bit of contact because they were they were taking on the defensive line and absolutely bowling over the, their opposition. It was really, really good. And equally some exciting running rugby out the back. 
with with the with the wide outside backs and in we we know what we've got in in this early early stage of this competition the the combinations aren't quite there yet some of the players have a very different level of skill with the ball to others but as as time goes on i think parity between the teams will develop it may take take a, a season or two until we see everyone being more competitive but at this point it's pretty entertaining and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely go back and watch another game yeah and I think New South Wales have showed in this first two weeks that they're a little bit of a step above the other teams so far they just seem really well drilled with a really solid spine of their team with uh, Jane Morgan in the half and Houston at fullback really tying them together and then they've got a bit of pace out wide you saw Shanice Parker score a double in this game, which was great to see. And the player of the match, Atassi Lafai, who's the sister of Tim Lafai, who plays for the Dragons in the NRL, she spoke after the game. She got a player of the match. She she was just excited that they were finally playing a professional game at the SFS. So they're all pumped to be there. Their families and friends were all there after the game, congratulating them. Really good to see, and hopefully the opportunities continue to come. Unfortunately, you say professional game. The word is on the street, though, they're still trying to work out some sort of salary option for these players playing in this league. Yeah, they've got to, they've got to sort something out because it, it should be professional. They should definitely be paid. Next round for the Super W, the Waratahs take on the Brumbies at Warringah Oval. That's 3pm this Saturday. And the Reds host the Rebels up at Ballymore, and that's 2.30 on Sunday. That kicks off. So another two good games there. So... Both will be up on Fox Sports, or if you're around Sydney or Brisbane, get out to those games. Round six. All right, let's have a look through at the next round of Super Rugby, and we'll run through these games pretty quickly. Friday night, we have the Bulls continuing on their New Zealand road trip, taking on the Crusaders, and will the Crusaders be able to bounce back from two subsequent losses versus the Bulls? Uh, yes, they will. And they're back at home. They're going to be disappointed from uh, their performance against the Highlanders, but Crusaders will bounce back in this one. The Bulls, I think, will be competitive, but Crusaders, again, too clinical for a team like this, and they should get it done. Yeah, at the moment, I'm tipping the Crusaders. I, I still think the Bulls will pull it together and upset someone we, we're not expecting this season. At this stage, the Crusaders, two losses in a row, I can't imagine the last time they had three in a row and I, I think they'll get it done this week but keep an eye on those bulls because they're they're ready to pounce on someone yeah sweep at crusaders for me as well but i agree leo that it's definitely a game that i'll look forward to actually catching a little bit of because if it's anything like them their game versus the chiefs uh it'll be one to watch next uh the rebels have a quick turnaround and host the sharks down at amy park in melbourne Probably won't see DHP return to this game if he's put in the concussion protocol. They may have to shuffle around their team a little bit. Yeah, and that's disappointing. Yeah, that... It was a really hard, horrible hit he took to the head uh, off Falau's hit in, in the Waratahs game. He was down for a while. He was a bit worried because he, he didn't move for five, ten seconds. But look, if they can if they can come up with a, a new combination that's as effective as their backline's been in the past three weeks before the Waratahs game, the Rebels should definitely have it. I'd like to see the team list to be absolutely certain of picking them. But again, the Sharks, there's potential there for an upset. They're, they're probably a little bit less well-drilled than the Bulls, just in my eye, at this point. So they'll probably struggle on their tour. Yeah, for me, I think the Rebels should be able to bounce back for this one. Uh, I'm hoping I get to see some Maddox shifted over to fullback 
and keeping that 10, 12, 13 combination there. And then you just have Nyvolo and Corabidi on the wings is a bit more, uh, give them a bit more time to shine this weekend. But yeah, Rebels for me. Yeah, Naivalu looked a little bit off when he came on on the weekend. So I'd look for him to bounce back, particularly if he gets the start. I think the Rebels will be pretty determined to turn this around. Conceding 50 points is is not great against one of your rivals in the conference. So I think the Sharks did look decent against the Brumbies, but just lacked a bit of composure and, and ability to execute in those kind of finer moments. But Rebels, I think, can take this one. It'll be close, and I think Dave Vessels may be able to correct some of the things that he's doing with the team during the week, and they'll come out fresh. Very quickly, is has Debrasini spent time at fullback in the past? Is that a yeah. possibility? That it is, he may be I more comfortable than Maddox? It would be changing yeah, two I don't positions, know. but yeah, just anyway. They might drop Hodge back. They might leave yeah. it how it was and put Hodge back at 15 and, and put Billy Meeks in at 12 again, so... I don't know. Yeah, we'll I'm see. not sure we'll what see. they'll do. Depends if they want Naivalu to start. That'll probably depend on... Maddox has always been a 15 there. in schoolboys rugby and stuff. He's not been a 10 traditionally. So he'd, oh, okay. he'd feel at home at 15. Next, we head over to Tokyo and the Sunwolves are back in town at Prince Chichibu. They're taking on the Chiefs this week. And I know the Sunwolves were strong last week, but I can't particularly see them getting anywhere near the Chiefs this game. Uh, definitely tipping the Chiefs in this one. Yeah, give me the Chiefs as well. The Chiefs are not, you know, they're not probably the team they were in previous years, but still good enough, I think, to to take advantage of a Sunwolves team that's been travelling a lot and it is still um, suffering injuries. So I think this could be a high-scoring game. Sunwolves seem to be able to put on points, even though they're conceding them as well. So... Maybe look for another game that's 40 to 20 or something like that. But Chiefs should take this one out. Yeah, so long as their flights don't get redirected somewhere hectic like, I don't know, Dubai, uh, I would expect the Chiefs to travel well and come into this game still feeling pretty fresh. I, I don't know if they're due for some return from injury. That's something else that we'll have to keep an eye on because they are so depleted. They're into like their fifth or sixth front row stock. So. Uh, they are playing yeah, Angus well. Talbot, considering... You know they are. Yeah, well, <laughs> when Angus Talbot he's, he's playing, starting. he's playing better for them than he did for the Tars. But yeah, I, I know, think man. the Chiefs, the Chiefs will have this. But again, like it's it's always possible. Maybe the Chiefs finally do get their their loss and their slide, and the Sunwolves play another really strong game at home. Some some homemade sushi. Who knows? All right, and we'll head over um, then to the New Zealand Derby of the round. The these are the top two placed New Zealand teams at the moment, the Hurricanes and the Highlanders out of Wellington on Saturday evening. Uh, Toby, who do you have? Mate, give me the Canes. This is definitely the game of the round for me. There's going to be points in this game and it's going to be exciting. So Highlanders cannot be underestimated, but I think Hurricanes being at home and had that bye week, I think they're going to be too strong for a Highlanders team that... They've got a good win over the Crusaders, but yeah, they're going to be tested again this week. I have a lot of belief in the Highlanders. They're my, they're my New Zealand team if I was to claim a New Zealand team. Um, I'd assume the Hurricanes are at full strength. Again, we don't get to see the team list this early in the week, but assuming that the, the Hurricanes are bringing their full force uh, to, the, to the field on, on Saturday, there, I, I think they'll get it over the Highlanders, but I can't wait to see it. I, I think both teams will really give us a show. 
Yeah, I'm actually going to tip a little bit of the upset. Hopefully the Highlanders can keep the good times rolling. I know it's hard for them not playing at home. Uh, you think the Hurricanes will have a bit of advantage, but they've just looked so potent and they've got a healthy team at the moment. I think the Highlanders might be able to put one over the favourites probably for the New Zealand Conference. Will they squeak out a win, mate? If you look at the Johannesburg Lions, they talked about how they squeaked out a win. So it's not just me that's weird, all right? It's a thing. It's a, pro- it's a problem if you're setting the linguistic trends for the South Africans. Yeah, don't, mate. That's that's not a good source to rely upon. <laughs> mate, they Unless are... you, maybe it's Afrikaans. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, yeah, it's got a Dutch stem uh, squeak to squeakest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> speaking of South Africa, next game we'll head over to New Orleans and... The Stormers, two home games in a row, and they're taking on the Reds, who, I mean, they're going around the world to get back to Cape Town, it sounds like. Yeah, they've, well, they got diverted out of Sao Paulo to London instead of instead of directly to Cape Town because they didn't have yellow fever shots. What a nightmare. So I hope <laughs> they've been resting well on the plane because that's about all they've had the opportunity to do. Uh, tough Tough one for the Reds. We were we were impressed last week. They had a lot of composure to take it to the Haguaras and keep them under wraps early in the game and get the upper hand. Uh, they brought a lot of physicality with all this flying coming into the Stormers' house. Might be a, a bit too much this week. I'll, I'll be super impressed if they do it, but I think the Stormers probably need the respect for the tip here. Yeah, I think you're right, Leo. I think the Stormers have to have the money on the Stormers this week. The Reds is just asking a lot. I think they will be ch- challenging the Stormers, but probably after 40, 50, maybe even 60 minutes, I just don't think they're going to be able to put it together for the full 80 minutes to squeak out the win uh, against the Stormers in this one. Uh, I think it's just asking a little bit too much after they've gone halfway around the world to get there. I really want to pick the Reds in this game. I just can't do it. They're, the travel's too brutal. The Stormers look settled now at home, put in a really strong performance last week. And I don't know if the, the Reds do have the forward pack to dominate them, um, but the, the Stormers look like really dynamic and potent in attack. And playing at home, I, I can't go past them. The Reds may put on a good show, I think. They could do some damage, but yeah, I think this is going to be a lower scoring game. And I think the Stormers will win by maybe three to five points or so. I, I kind of reckon it might go the other way. I think it might, might stay close and it could blow out at the end. But I wonder how much disruption bringing Scott Higginbotham back in and disturbing the recent combinations that have been pretty successful. I wonder how much that will change. It's almost like having an injury, but you're getting someone back. How does that fit in the mix? I think you'll see Angus Scott Young drop to the bench probably. I'd actually like to see... I'd actually like to see Liam Wright come into seven. Um, probably, you never know, Scott Higginbotham might come off the bench, but I could see him starting at eight and putting Caleb Timu back at six. Um, and then you'd lead, leave the tight five as is. So very strong forward pack for the Reds. And like I said, I think they can do some damage, but the Stormers across the park were just a little bit too dangerous, I think, for them. And the final game of the round, once again out of Buenos Aires, the Haguaris get three home games in a row here and... Uh, taking on the travelling Lions uh, that will be looking to put a bit of more of a stronger effort against the Haguaras than they did versus Sunwolves this week. Uh, I think they will be able to do it, though. 
I think we've seen from the Reds how you beat the Haguaros and it's muscling up early and spoiling a few of their plays and then putting them on the back foot. And I think the Lions have the big men up front to be able to do that and I think they'll they'll run away with a bit of a win here. Yeah, give me the Lions as well. They played in week two. So the Lions, they've seen them before. Playing, obviously, over in Argentina is a different prospect. But you see, like, the Reds dealt with that okay. And the Haguaras just, they don't look like they can do anything right at the moment. And the Lions do have the team to muscle them up front. And then they probably have even more dangerous backs out there out wide. So I can see this being a higher-scoring game. Um Haguaros might just throw kind of caution to the wind and and try and go wide earlier and and throw the ball around a bit more because against the Reds they just tried to take them on up front and they couldn't get through. Yeah, I've got the the namesake in the battle of the big cats. I think the the Lions are aggressive. They're gonna they're going to niggle the Haguaros if they can keep them off their game for the first twenty. The Haguaros do t- do tend to suffer a little bit from the infight. And that that never leads to anything good. So hopefully, hopefully they can they can keep their heads and and stay competitive. I think there's potential for this one to to blow out a little bit, especially if the Haguaras don't don't fix that uh, ball security issue. They they've got to see that teams are targeting them with those high carries and and they're spilling the ball all over the place. And they're they're not going to get very far if they if they're going to turn over possession that often. The Lions will eat that up. They'll throw it wide. Dangerous back three. There'll be points all over the park, so I'll stick with the Lions as well. Let's have a look at what's happening with rugby elsewhere around the world. Uh, we had the Six Nations final final round this weekend. We had Italy just losing to Scotland, 27-29 to in Rome. We had Wales just eking out a win versus France, 14-13. to And Ireland versus England, the St. Paddy's Day Classic. And England, they lost this 24-15. to and that's three losses in a row to Eddie Jones's men, and that means England finishes up fifth in the Six Nations, which must be the lowest they've done in several years. Yeah, lowest in great. over thirty years, which means it's the worst performing England team in a Six Nations in most of the lifetimes of those players. <laughs> that's what I like to see. Living in London, not, I love not to good. see the misery. Not good before the year before a World Cup. It's going to have to be a real Phoenix effort for them to rise up and, and shake off that tag. Yeah, look, the, the media's already turned on Eddie. They're, they're giving him a grilling. And I think, you know, this doesn't help their, their campaign at all. They're just, they seem to turn on themselves way too quickly. And to have to go to South Africa to play three games in June, like South Africa seem like they're, they're getting their, their shit together at the moment. And, and England aren't going to be, you know, necessarily favourites in all those games. I, I actually think that they might drop a couple in South Africa and, and the rot might continue. But next up, they've got the Barbarians, I think, in a, a couple of months or so. Um, but yeah, they, they don't play for a little while, so they can't really redeem themselves at the moment. And the other big headline this week was uh, the Honey Badger. Nick Cummins has been announced as the new Australian Bachelor. And Toby, I know you're a bit of a Bachelor addict. Uh, what do you make of this call? I'm by no means a bachelor addict, and I I don't actually like this call at all. I was I was hoping Drew Mitchell would get the nod um, after a bit of a social media campaign from from Swoopy and and Gitz, um, but yeah, it wasn't good enough to get him over the line. I saw it being over here in London. I haven't seen a whole lot of it, but I saw that 
I think the project interview with him, mm. and he just looks like he he's searching for those one-liners, and there's not a whole lot of depth behind um, that character, which I think he could get maybe a little bit found out. He's either going to show a different side to himself and really open up, or he's going to get found out when he's trying to kind of come up with with these classic lines all the time because he ends up repeating himself. And being on TV and in the media so often, you can just see there's a little bit of maybe a, a stretch at times for him to be as creative as, as people want him to be. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, and I'll, I'll definitely check it out where I can, but mate, I would have liked to see Drew in there. Yeah, I think it's a real danger from what we've seen in previous sequences and series of The Bachelor of it becoming very over overproduced and them just trying to set him up to be in this ridiculous situations and say these ridiculous uh, phrases and I think it's going to lose a little bit of the genuineness of it and I feel like it's going to be hilarious probably for the first show and then everyone's going to be a little bit confused and just stop listening because they don't really understand what he's talking about. Anyway, guys, that's about all from us this week. As always, uh, we want you to find us and like us on Facebook or Instagram. We're at Running Rugby Podcast. Follow us on Twitter uh, at Running Rugby Pod. And there you'll find lots of regular updates, news, and some video content and highlights from all the weekend's games. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Pocket Casts. And you can find links to our website on Podiant through any of those apps. Thanks again for tuning in and from all of us here at the Running Rugby Podcast, keep on running. Run. I'm not talking into the microphone. I am not talking into the microphone. You shut up. Daikuno. I like rugby. This is my problem last time. It sounds like this. Maybe you should get up at 4.30 and get all the shit out of your system. Well, that's rude. <laughs> you think I like getting up at 5.30? <laughs> no. Let's go, Arch.